passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey everybody, this is Wei Ting, and uh, I'm about to play for you uh, an episode of Rewandavision, which is the WandaVision podcast that I host with WH Park every weekend on our Patreon, postwrestlingcafe.com. Uh, you know, this is usually a Patreon exclusive that we give to our patrons, but I thought this episode turned out so well with me, WH, and John Ceno that uh, I thought it would be a nice thing to try to give people as a bit of a preview of what you get on the Patreon. Uh, we're going to give you the whole episode in full. If you're just tuning into the series and you're caught up and you just kind of want a bit of a, you know, a refresher about what's going on in Westview. It is a, a show that uh, I'm deeply kind of like interested in studying, which is why I started the podcast. So if you enjoy it, consider signing up to our Patreon. Not only do you get this every single week, you also get access to Rewind a Smackdown uh, live or recorded and Rewind a Raw or I mean, sorry, Rewind Away. We have a lot of shows. Rewind Away, Ask Away, uh, our Rocky Balboa review that's coming out later this week as well. So $6 a month, patreon.com slash postwrestling or postwrestlingcafe.com. Enjoy. Welcome everybody. This is Rewand of Vision. My name is Waiting. This is Post Wrestling's official WandaVision podcast. This is episode four of Rewand of Vision, but we are here to talk about episode five of the series itself. Joining me as always is W. H. Park. What's up, W. H. Not much, Way, not much. It's uh it's a long it's been a long week at work, but you know, my weekend is here. My Sunday and Monday are my is my weekend, so I'm gonna enjoy it by sleeping a lot and and reading some comics. Maybe some of the comics that we're gonna recommend at the end of this episode. And uh, we we have a special guest, though. We do have a special guest, um, and joining us, our first very special guest on Rewind Vision, the host of Shot in the Dark on the Up Next feed, uh, the host of the other guys on the Up Next Twitch, the host of the Zombie Pod. And I'm sure plenty of other things that I, I'm not aware of. Um, we have John Ceno, Ceno Evil, joining us. What's up, John? 
What's up, guys? It's an honor to be here with WH and Wave. The only issue is I have notes for Total Bellas. Did I? I thought I was on a different show this weekend. Oh shit! Well, uh, why don't you try to work those notes in? I'm sure it'll make sense. I mean, they're about yeah, births. I mean, there's twins in both of them, so yeah, I think it makes sense. I'm sure, there's I know, some hex- so, I know. I know. John just wants to say Pap smear at some point on on post wrestling. So, you know, <laughs> we'll maybe we'll get you your chance there, John. Okay, we'll there's, do that. There's definitely some hex power going on in the in Nikki and in uh Bree's world from time to time. But uh we are here to talk about episode five of WandaVision. And since John, you are joining us for the first time, um you do talk about WandaVision every single week on The Other Guys, which is a podcast. Well, t- tell us about it. What what exactly is it? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really classify it as a podcast. Like, we were doing these, like, watch-alongs on Twitch with Davey anyway. So we figured, let's, like, go on a little bit earlier than SmackDown, because we usually would do the watch-alongs on SmackDowns on Fridays. And me and Mike are always texting about movies and shows and everything. So we're like, let's just go on for, like, an hour and a half before SmackDown and just talk. And obviously, WandaVision is, like, the hot topic right now, but we go through a lot of things. We just review the new movie, The Little Things, with Jared Leto and Denzel from HBO Max. So obviously, with all these, like, on-demand movies that are coming out pretty much weekly for the next couple months, we're going to kind of be hitting those. And then as we're getting into the Golden Globes and the Oscar season, we'll just talk with our, our nominations and movies that we um, are looking forward to or movies that we saw. But um, yeah, we have been talking about WandaVision as well. So I figured it's a nice little segue to be on here as well to talk about it. So you're very caught up with the show, of course. Uh, and tell the audience what your thoughts of the series is so far. I love it. Um, me personally, I'm a big fan of like the Twilight Zone. And this is the closest thing to a Twilight Zone that I've seen as far as like Marvel goes. Um, and I just love the whole like the whole uh, sitcom that style they've been doing it. Like I know a lot of people have been hating it, even like the the length of the shows. But I'm not, I haven't found anything to complain about it at all. And I'm just looking forward to the whole conclusion of it. And then hopefully at the end, people can kind of watch it all in one go if they didn't get a chance just yet and appreciate exactly what they were trying to do. I think like the the criticisms of of the show definitely like were um, you know you saw that in the first three episodes. I feel like we, I, you know, you definitely noticed throughout the last two episodes. The more they've incorporated the real world elements into it, a, a lot of those opinions change. Have you sensed that, WH? I, I think so. I think as we move out of the sitcom kind of heavy influence of how the show is filmed and presented, and we move into like you know the the MCU style, as it were, the the widescreen style that people um, feel is more going on, and now we know there's an outside world and we know that they're concerned about what's happening inside of Westview. So we're kind of following along with like, you know, the characters of Jimmy Woo and Darcy and with Monica Rambo and the other agents of sword to see what's going on with Wanda. And like this episode was, I think very pivotal in showing that something's going on with Wanda and it mirrors a lot of like storylines that happened in the comics but there's also this element that there's some manipulation going on. And I have some thoughts about that, that we'll probably get into as the show progresses. You know, of course, in addition to like the story elements really ramping up, I mean, this was, I would say the episode with the biggest reveal so far, like the, the, the show that you really had to make sure you avoided spoilers for, uh, before, you know, but WH, you watched this before you went to work, didn't you? I watched this at 7 a.m. yesterday morning. I had to because I know John Cena is going to spoil everything for me on uh, a fucking messenger. Of course, of course. Yeah, that is a trouble. But, you know, that's sort of a hallmark of, like, TV series. And, and it's a different experience, like, getting this through the MCU because we're so used to movies. Uh, you have to avoid spoilers, of course. But in TV, it's, like, it, it, it's a very different phenomenon. But we're definitely entering spoiler cliffhanger territory. So if you have not watched Episode 5, turn this shit off right now. 
go watch it and then join us again. So I'm going to uh, go through a brief summary and then we're going to get into some topics uh, talking about some of the major themes and uh, elements of the show. So, uh, you know, last week, of course, episode where we broke off from the sitcom format and just focused the whole episode on Sword and Darcy and Jimmy Woo and Monica Rambeau. So this week we actually return to the sitcom theme, but we do also bounce back and forth between that and the real world. This episode is all about the 80s. Wanda and Vision are raising their new infant twins who quickly will themselves to age up to ages 5 and then subsequently age 10. And we learn that this is all against Wanda's own control. As hard as she is trying to be able to control everything within her world, she cannot control these twins. The twins find a stray dog that eventually supposedly dies from eating poisonous leaves in Agnes's yard. The twins demand that their mother brings the dog back to life, but Wanda acts as if it's either not possible or that it shouldn't be allowed, even though we all know that she just did this with Vision. Vision, who is already starting to see the cracks in his this reality, starts to reveal more of the truth by breaking the trance of his colleague, Norm. Meanwhile, in the real world, Monica Rambeau, uh, recently ejected out, out of the bubble, she gets readjusted with S.W.O.R.D. as her investigation ramps up. Director Hayward reveals that Wanda stole Vision's body from their headquarters nine days ago, which is not long after the events of Endgame in our MCU timeline. Monica Rambeau discovers that the 70s clothes that she came out of the bubble with are actually made of Kevlar, which indicates that any items that transform within Wanda's world retain their inner composition once they leave the world. They aren't just illusions within the citizens' minds. They aren't just illusions cast through the TV. In her own way, Wanda is permanently rewriting reality. So this leads to Rambo suggesting that they send in an 80s-era drone, something that fits within the time frame of the show that wouldn't require transformation from Wanda to see if it fits and to see how the reaction would be. So they send the drone in, and Director Hayward from S.W.O.R.D., who sees Wanda as very much a threat, uh, decides to open fire, which leads to Wanda exiting the bubble, complete in her Avengers look, throwing the drone back at S.W.O.R.D. and issuing them a stern warning to leave her and her world alone. In our final scene, Vision confronts Wanda about what's going on, and it leads to the two to have a very big argument as Vision is more and more adamant that Wanda release her grasp on this reality that she's holding hostage. The show ends as we hear a knock on the door that Wanda says is not of her doing, and we see from the back a man with white hair. It is Kenta from New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's broken down the forbidden door, and he's here to challenge John Moxley. Fuck you, Kenta. <laughs> It is Wanda's brother, Pietro, uh, who, who is also known to comics fans as Quicksilver, except it is not the same Quicksilver that we've seen in the MCU played by Aaron Taylor Johnson. Instead, it is the version from the Fox X-Men films played by Evan Peters in what I would probably say was one of the biggest holy shit reveals in all of MCU history. What did you guys think of uh, the episode overall, first of all? And let's start with you, WH. Uh, I really liked it. I thought it just propelled the the narrative of the whole series forward. And I really loved the, 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 the parts where Wanda can't control her children. She can't make them fall asleep using her hex powers. They are unaffected by this, which to me tells me that there's something bigger going on with them, maybe something far more sinister as, um, you know, like, 
this retains elements from her her dark Scarlet Witch storyline that happened in the West Coast Avengers, uh, written and drawn by John Byrne, which I'll recommend as a trade paperback later on. But like th- this this episode is completely inspired by the events that happen in that Avengers West Coast storyline, and I, I love that it's one of my favorite storylines. Um, but I I really like the uh, the aspect of her invading Sword Headquarters to steal the Vision's body, which has just been like you can tell from the camera footage that it's just been completely dissected. And that was I thought okay, so she reintegrated him somehow um, with her powers, and it 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 just was really nice to see that Vision isn't just her puppet. He he has his own mind somehow, even though he doesn't have the mind gem anymore. And what's going on there? Like so, it's beyond. Her control and then the reveal of evan peters the the quicksilver from the fox x-men universe was amazing to me because i'm like oh my god this opens the door for the x-men to somehow return and they're going to retain not the actors but i think the characters and this recast them all like who, who like if they kept michael fossbender as magneto i'd be really happy if they kept franco i uh, know sorry uh James McAvoy. McAvoy. I, I, why, is, why do I keep on saying James McAvoy? James, James McAvoy Franco has, might might make his way to this universe as well. He could. You know, he could. Yeah. Who knows? But if they if they keep like McAvoy and Fassbender as Charles Xavier and, and Magneto and integrate them into the into the MCU as their versions of uh, the, the X Men characters, that that would be amazing. Like for me, I I, I think the definite given that we're going to see Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange at the end of this series. But like, I, it would be great if we also get Fassbender as Magneto. And it's established that he is the father of both Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Sino? Yeah, I mean, when they when they revealed the whole like sitcom aspect of it, the episodes I was looking forward to the most were going to be 80s and 90s, because I feel like that's like my genre of TV. So I was very happy with the way they did it. I found about three or four different like sitcoms being referenced in this. I mean, the whole episode, I'm just kind of looking around, trying to find Easter eggs. Um, I'm so happy I didn't find that about the reveal. Like, that's one thing that we really... And supposedly it leaked out like a while ago, like a week before the episode actually aired, there was rumors of, of Peter's somehow being represented on the show. I think like the Spanish dub actor revealed it or something. So it was definitely out there. So I'm so happy I didn't see that. And one thing I appreciated was from episode four, a lot of people complained that pretty much all our questions got answered. It was kind of like a mid-season finale, but they presented so many more scenarios and questions in this episode that had so much more to reveal in the next four episodes or so. So I was really satisfied with everything. Um, just I'm so excited. Like, Literally, the Forbidden Door, like you said, was open in this episode. So there's so much more that they can explore now, so many things they can do, because now that Fox barrier has officially been broken down for the first time in the MCU. So now it's just like anything can happen. Certainly the biggest topic of conversation coming out of this is Pietro Maximoff uh, making his way here. And so in your opinions, you know, this can be two ways, okay? So they did kind of make the gag of like, you have Darcy afterwards saying, they recast Pietro. So on the one hand, it is sort of like, you know, making light of the trope of like a sitcom recasting somebody mid-season or at least like, you know, off-season and then not really mentioning it like Aunt Viv and, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, so they could be simply playing this up as just a visual gag to make fun of that trope. And they just decided to pick somebody that, you know, obviously played this character in the past and or... um and as I think, you know, everybody hopes this is a proper introduction of mutants and the X-Men into the MCU. Uh, so, you know, do you think we are actually getting that? I I mean, I would love for him to be like officially in it, but I feel like this is some sort of mind fuck with us. Like, 
me personally, I don't think Wanda is behind all this. I think she's being controlled. And the person I thought of from the first time I saw him that was the baddie was um, Hayward. And the fact that they call him Director Hayward, but every time I hear that, I'm like, he's the director of the show. He's the person that's mm. running everything. So to me, I feel like he's the person that implanted that into Wanda's vision. Um, and they just use this whole like sitcom trope of recasting as a way to to have him on the show. But I feel like we are going to get some sort of reference to Aaron Taylor Johnson, whether it be like he looks in the mirror where you see some sort of flashback. But I feel like we're going to see him somehow on this show. But if they are going to move forward with Quicksilver, I feel like Peters is going to be the the official one. And, and maybe before we even move on, I, I do feel like um, I wonder if like there are people, everybody listening right now, I, I think most of you are familiar with like, you know, what the big deal behind this is. But for those of you who might just be listening to the show like this or aren't as familiar with like comic book movies, they we might have to like maybe pause a little bit just to kind of explain the context here. So Fox owned the rights to the X-Men for decades. You know, we're talking since, you know, the, the, the movies from the 2000s. Which is why the X-Men and Wolverine and Deadpool, these these people were never mentioned in any of the Avengers films and vice versa. Even though in the comics, these characters all have traditionally intertwined with one another. Um, but recently, of course, Disney obtained the rights back to these characters from Fox. And so this instance appears to be the first of any sort of mutant or X-Men crossover between these very distinct and very deep universes that have not interacted. And can you explain, WH, why... Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are such are like why they both happen to appear in both universes at one time. So they first appeared in the original X Men series. This is the the one that features Cyclops, Beast, Angel, uh, Marvel Girl, and Iceman, and with Professor X as their their leader. And they were part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, uh, led by Magneto. But soon after that, they joined the Avengers, and this is like an early incarnation of the Avengers after like. Like a lot of the core original members, Thor, Iron Man, the Hulk, uh, Giant Man, and the Wasp leave. So then Captain America is the only one who stays, and he forms a kind of a quartet with himself, Hawkeye, the Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver. They and the idea is that they're gonna. They left Magneto. They left the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants to reform themselves, and Captain America is giving them a chance to become superheroes instead of supervillains. And for a long time, these four these four characters were like the the Avengers for a while until they started recruiting more members and a lot of the original members started coming back. But for a long time, like the, the Scarlet Witch was an integral member of the Avengers from like the late sixties up until really the eighties. And then it's kind of on and off with her. And then that's where the, you know, the idea of her and the vision becoming a romantic couple and eventually married comes from, and they become one of the kind of like quintessential you know, uh, couples in the Marvel universe, along with like Reed and Sue Richards and, you know, Hank Pym and Jenna Van Dyne. Um, So it's, it's really cool to see them be part of like, it it was, it was interesting to see like they were part of the X-Men movie universe because they were introduced in the X-Men. So Fox had access to them, but they can also be part of the MCU because they were prominent, both were prominent members of, the Avengers franchise as well. So it's really weird how like legally this all happened with a different like Fox and, and Marvel studios could control these characters, but they couldn't call them Quicksilver or, or Scarlet Witch and vice versa. So like, you never hear like two, you know, like direct mentions of like, you know, Evan Peters version being, you know, like having this kind of the same traits as like the Aaron Taylor Johnson version of Pietro Maximoff. It, it's one of those kind of really weird things about the comics that makes it incredibly complex when you're trying to divide, you know, uh, legally who has the rights to what, because 
you know, as you mentioned, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are characters that equally belong in both the X-Men and Avengers universes. So for years, I guess what it, it, it was, it was also interesting that they both kind of came out at the same time in the movies, you know, at the same time that like Days of Future Past introduced their Quicksilver, we just a year later had, you know, when the same production period, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson debut in, in the Avengers universe. So as many people, you know, who follow will, will know, they killed off the Quicksilver in the Avengers universe and I will say, in the comparison of the two Quicksilvers, I mean, the Fox one, it, it, Evan Peters completely steals that movie. He is by far the more popular Quicksilver and, and the better depiction of that character. So it's all very fascinating how that all built up to this moment where you essentially kind of take these um, legally kind of like ambiguous, you know, characters that both companies try to lay claim to, and you've somehow used them as a potential bridge between the two universes by associating, you know, the siblings across two universes together. Um, so the ramifications behind this are, are pretty big because I think it suggests that there's at least the potential that Marvel isn't simply recasting the entire X-Men like I personally thought they might. You know, they are at least going to perhaps retain some elements of the existing history of the Fox X-Men. And of course, we know that, you know, there's through reports and rumors that I would say at this point are, are somewhat confirmed, but not officially by, by, by Marvel that uh, Sony Spider-Man um, in, in Toby uh, McGuire and Andrew Garfield might be making appearances in the next uh, Spider-Man movie. And they might be doing this even with some of the Netflix characters. So it absolutely is the start of, you know, them seemingly plucking elements out of different uh, universes owned by previous other companies into the Disney MCU. Do you guys think that this opens the door? I mean, you mentioned WH Michael Fassbender. Um, how do they make sense of, uh, of that? I suppose. Is it as simple as like, Hey, it's the multiverse. Everybody can come in. Like how much of the history do you think they will retain if they do that? Well, so, you know, the, the first phase of the MCU was built around the Infinity Gauntlet and the Infinity War and the character of Thanos. I, I would, can see the way they will integrate the multiverse and make it a singular Marvel Universe, integrating all these characters somehow and then getting rid of, like, the ones they don't, they don't want to use anymore. Like, for example, Spider-Man, they'll keep Tom Holland, they'll get rid of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's versions is to use a storyline called Secret Wars, which is the not the one from the 80s, but the more recent one written by a writer by the name of Jonathan Hickman, which kind of did the same thing, which was like destroyed all the multiverses and created a singular Marvel universe, called, which would be the Marvel 616 universe, which is the mainline uh, Marvel universe. And so I can see them leading towards that and I can see them integrating uh Maybe this is how they're going to bring the FF, the Fantastic Four, into the the Marvel universe and make maybe Doctor Doom, which would be my dream, is if Doctor Doom is the new Thanos, he's the overriding archvillain of the entire next phase of Marvel movies. But I can also see them using a character by the name of Kang, who is a time traveler, and um, he has different incarnations in in the comic books. He's he's a character called Ramatut. He's this character also called the Scarlet Centurion, but the two main versions of Kang are Kang and then uh, a future version of Kang called Immortus, who actually plays a big part in Scarlet Witch's history and development in, um, in the West Coast Avengers storyline featuring her, her turn to the dark side. Hey, just to add on that note, uh, you mentioned Kang the Conqueror. That is actually a character that has been cast 
for the MCU in a future upcoming film in uh, Ant-Man 3. So um, that could uh, be closer than we think. You know, Kevin Feige has said previously that like he thought he th- he said it would be a while before the X-Men actually come to the MCU. Um, obviously, it doesn't, you know, preclude him from dropping hints, but this timeline would suggest if this is an X-Man in Quicksilver making his appearance, that that timeline has sped up incredibly faster than we thought. Uh, Like, do you think that we'll see full integration of the X-Men, you know, within the next three years? So, you know, I think so. I mean, I mean, the same way that the, the original movies and MCU dealt with the infinity stones. I feel like this is all going to be based around the multiverse. You already have Dr. Strange is going to be based on the multiverse and this whole Spider-Man theory. And I feel like it kind of started with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. The animated movie was all about the multiverse and that like sparked the ideas of bringing in different Spider-Mans and everything. And um, yeah. And the, the cool thing about it is like the X-Men movies themselves was very similar to how WandaVision is jumping around in time. You were, you know, they're set in the sixties, seventies, eighties. And if you technically think about it in the seventies, I'm sorry, the 80s, this is the Quicksilver that was in the movies. So it kind of makes sense because the Aaron Taylor Johnson one wasn't born until like the late 80s, early 90s. So if you want to think about it from a timeline stance, maybe the 80s version is going to be him. And then maybe when they jump into the future, into the 90s and 2000s, we might see Aaron Taylor Johnson. And and also it's been said that like, there's supposed to be this big like actor, like Luke Skywalker level being represented in the show. And my, in my, the only person that comes to that, that type of build would be like, and Ian McKellen or Patrick Stewart, I can't see anybody mm-hmm. else because Paul Bendy said it's somebody that he's always wanted to work with, somebody that he really has much respect for. So the only person that I can think of would be like a McKellen or a Patrick Stewart. Because he has Ryan worked Reynolds. with Ben <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. Because he has worked with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, so perhaps right. we can rule him out. Um, absolutely. You know, you bring up how this was like something that's really peculiar. And I wonder if it's part of their thinking, the fact that the X-Men films starting from first class followed a very similar time jump pattern throughout the films as WandaVision with first class taking place in the sixties, the next movie taking place in the seventies and then the eighties and then the nineties, like it is exactly like the pattern of WandaVision. So I, it, it makes you wonder if Marvel is going to somehow use WandaVision to, in my opinion, fix the very screwed up timeline of the Fox X-Men universe. And then you also have Loki coming, which I think is going to be like a quantum leap style show where he's jumping around from time to time. In my personal opinion, the same way how WandaVision goes through different um, eras, I feel like Loki's going to go through different movies. He's going to go to Iron Man 1. He's going to jump to Incredible Hulk. That's just my theory. I haven't really looked too much into what it's going to be about, but obviously we know it's him jumping around, fixing things or messing things up. So I feel like that's going to be another big part. Um, that's supposed to drop after Witcher Soldier and Falcon, right? So. Mm-hmm not sure how it's going to work in the timeline like i don't think black widow has anything to do with any of this at all so i don't think it's going to really affect anything but as far as like going into the next phase with dr strange i feel like loki is going to be like the real big key to it yeah all of this really does kind of show you i mean these aren't simply shows that are tv shows that are kind of on the side they are shows that they are like putting some pretty big reveals into that appear to be as relevant as the movies so let's talk a bit about like the story of uh, WandaVision itself here. What is sort of the what is sort of the latest theories that you guys have about who is sort of in charge of it all? Let's start with you, John. Um, see, everybody like they keep saying that um that it's Agnes Agatha. Me personally, like I feel like Dottie has a little bit more to do with this. There's a one part where Vision makes Norm kind of snap out of it, and he keeps saying she, she but he never says Wanda. I feel like Dottie could be the person. Because if you remember when they first introduced her, the first thing they said about her, I think Agatha, Agatha said it was that Dottie was a key to everything. 
So that line kind of stuck in my head and she still has him in representing on the board. Every episode, I kind of see who's been updated. I think they added the mailman was up there as well, but Dottie's still one of the people that they haven't found out who she is. So I feel like between her and Hayward, Hayward might be Ralph. I feel like Agatha, like even though she, everybody pretty much thinks she's um, Agnes's Agatha. I feel like the main person behind it could be Dottie and Hayward. Well, it's clear like this episode definitely kind of we're, we're painting Hayward and Agnes as, in my opinion, two antagonists here. And, you know, Hayward here was pretty much like, I feel, I find him being kind of overly um, critical of Wanda, you know, which which is in direct opposition to the uh, very kind of sympathetic opinions of our leads. And he fires at Wanda through the drone without really any provocation, as if he's almost trying to piss her off to get her reaction. And he like withholds the information that Wanda stole Vision's body, which I would say is a pretty major thing to like hold back on. Um, WH, what's your theory? I'm going to agree with John. I think, you know, like that Dottie, um, I think Dottie is a manifestation of Mephisto within Westview itself. And I think we're going to see that she's been manipulating Wanda to have the twins, to have um, Billy and Tommy. And because like, you know, I, I have the benefit of, having seen this story play out in the comics. And I, I see so many elements uh, from the comics appear on this show. And like, one of the big things is that Tommy and Billy were shards of Mephisto's soul, uh, which was dispersed in a fantastic four storyline. And then she used that, those shards to create Billy and Tommy and he wants them back. So I can see maybe he's trying to escape whatever passes off as, you know, hell in in the mcu to get into the real world but he but he or she needs to you know use wanda's powers and you know create children through her to to do this i mean this is like a lot of you know you know like theorizing and speculating on my part but that's just what i get from my experience from reading the comics so i'm gonna say mephisto some version of mephisto probably uh, represented by Dottie, is the is the big bad throughout this series it's interesting that you you both think think of Dottie, and so you both think that Agnes is just working for Dottie, or at yeah. least through, for Miss Visto through, you know, who's who's taken the role of Dottie here. I I think Agnes is you know everyone thinks Agnes is Agatha Harkness, which is an ally of Wanda in the comics, and you know she's a witch in in the comics, and I think she has you know some kind of magic based powers, of course, in in WandaVision, and that she's trying to help Wanda. And that she's trying to help her resist the, whoever the 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 overarching villain of this series is, and if it's Mephisto, that, that she has kind of knowledge of him because of him or her because um, she's a witch. Mephisto has you know you know roots in in the mystic arts of of the Marvel universe. So we'll see how that eventually all plays out. I I mean it's no secret it's no it's no coincidence that she plays the nanny to Billy and Tommy in this episode, because that's what her, one of her roles was, was being a nanny to different, you know, superpowered kids of, you know, superhero couples in the Marvel universe, including, you know, the vision and the Scarlet Witch and Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Girl in the Fantastic Four. Hey, WH, I have a question for you. So you might be able to explain it better, but isn't Sparky the dog connected to Agatha in a way? Like she's some sort of manifestation of, of Sparky, like something about the flower that he eats. I was trying to read up about him a little bit. And supposedly the flower that he eats somehow manifests into Agatha Harkness. You no, know, she's she has a cat in in the comic books. She never had a dog. So Sparky is is based on uh, actually the Vision's dog in the Vision miniseries that I'll actually you know recommend. 
or this episode written by uh, Tom King. A great series, by the way. Um, so, you know, in that series that Vision, Vision creates his own family, you know, of synthesoids. So he has a wife, he has two children, and he has a synthesoid dog called Sparky, who is he's like not a real dog. It's a synthesoid dog um, to create like this family for himself because he wants that more than anything else. It's, it's very, it's very interesting how that, that series parallels the same kind of like ideas and themes of WandaVision, but it's not, instead of using Wanda, it's the vision wanting all these things that Wanda wants in this television show. So Sparky's more kind of inspired by that. Also, I think Sparky's also inspired by um, the, the, the dog mascot of this TV production company called Ubu Productions, which is the, the TV show company that created family ties and then later another michael j fox uh, sitcom called uh spin city i i do know what you're talking about uh john cena though because i think in that in that series like the sparky does also die through eating something in is it agatha's yard but like something related to not to agatha's agatha. yard because agatha harkness does not appear in, in the vision series okay so so um he eats something that like it's a weird plant that has some sort of mystical power within that comic, and I have not read it. Um, so I don't know if you'd, you'd be familiar with, with that WH, but uh, you know, just because it exists in the comics, of course, does not necessarily mean it has that much bearing in, in the TV show. It could just simply be a source material. But on the topic of the animals, and you know, this kind of continues the theme throughout the episodes of like introducing animals, specifically of having Agatha or sorry Agnes introduce animals into Wanda and Vision's world that definitely stand out in this episode of course you had the puppy um the last time we had uh, a decade episode we had the stork and then uh prior to that we had uh, of course you know um senior scratchy the bunny for the magic show and then the first episode we had a lobster and uh, on a reddit thread it I, somebody pointed out how each animal kind of represented a certain theme of that episode where in the first episode it was all about you know, uh, Wanda and Vision have had a nice night together. They're kind of on a big date. And so the lobster, to some people, would re- represent a form of uh, an aphrodisiac as, uh, you know, a food that I suppose is traditionally associated with that. Uh, the bunny in the second episode, some people might associate with fertility or sex. The stork, of course, delivering a baby. And in this episode, uh, it would appear that the you know puppy might represent the idea of nurturing. Um, so to me, like, I think it fits very well into the... Th- my like the theory that I still believe in that Agnes has been clearly working very hard towards Wanda not only giving birth but now that the twins are out seeing the twins grow up really fast and so every time this episode you saw the twins age up uh, Agatha or sorry Agnes was you know very present so it, it appears just very evident to me that she she has a vested interest in seeing these children grow up and not, first of all be born but secondly to grow up as fast as they can any thoughts uh, about that from either of you? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely noticed that on the other guys. We noticed that like the com- one of the common themes is animals as well as fruit. I feel like those were both represented. And another one that I noticed on this episode was uh, Agnes calling herself a tiger. And then later on, there was like a random tiger toy on the table. Not sure if that hmm. like connects anyway, but I feel like whenever um, there's a fruit or animal introduced, it somehow stays when it, even if Agnes isn't there, it somehow stays there. Like in episode two, I want to say, she presented on the pineapple to um to wanda and the pineapples was shown later on so whatever she presents as a gift or or some sort of saying to wanda is represented even though agnes isn't there so is it like some way of her monitoring her is she losing her presence still there so i'm definitely like been noticing that as well as the animals 
you know, Agnes is also part of, I would say, the first kind of what the fuck moment in this episode as she comes in as a typical neighbor does, but then breaks character to ask Wanda if she wants a line to be redone. And this comes uh, kind of to the astonishment of the vision who is still very much kind of like discovering this entire world. Uh, But Agnes, you know, basically asks, shall we retake it? And it it was um it, it, to me it just kind of seemed to spur on like Agnes continuing to want Vision to find out because if you remember that conversation that Vision had with the neighbor Agnes was present and it almost seemed like she was kind of facilitating the conversation so to me it almost feels like Agnes wants Vision to find out and is slowly leading giving him clues to 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 have him have this major freakout which of course he does. Um, what did you guys think of uh, Vision's arc in this episode as he is starting to rediscover or at least uncover really the the, the truth behind what's going on here? WH. I, I think it's really exciting because, you know, the first couple episodes, he, he is pretty much in Wanda's thrall under the influence of her, you know, powers and what she's trying to do in Westview. And it's in this episode that we see him, like, being more than a reanimated corpse, <laughs> being more than weekend Bernie's, basically, right? So to and I think he's going to be the narrative device that we are going to see discover more and more about what's happening in Westview, and then have that information pass on to the to the agents of Sword that are outside the the hexagon, the hex as it's now known as within the show. Um, but yeah, I, I I think Paul Bettany's just absolutely fucking killing it. He's so good in these mm-hmm. last couple of episodes and and that haircut jesus christ what a thing of beauty <laughs> what, what did you guys think that was based on that hair i i said it's based on andrew keaton which is the the baby brother of uh you know the the keaton family and family ties you said to me that it's you think it's uh jimmy uh leonardo DiCaprio's character from uh growing pains i mean realistically that hair you could find on like any of those sitcoms of that era i'm sure like as um See, when I saw it, I just thought Nick Carter, but um, maybe that's more of an indictment of of Nick Carter. Uh, But, you know, as you mentioned, WH, we now have kind of like detectives on both sides of the bubble. Obviously, from the outside, we have S.W.O.R.D., but from the inside now, we have, you know, uh, Vision's perspective as he's trying to uncover everything. I totally agree with you. I thought this was like Paul Bettany's strongest performance to date here. He really impresses me with how he's able to like bounce back and forth between sort of like, you know, bewildered, typical sitcom dad to this like horror movie victim like the last scene that he had here as he's like in the air and he's screaming i'm scared like that's the most emotion i've seen from vision this entire run in all of these mcu movies like you felt that desperation you felt that fear in him he was great um wanda what did you guys think of uh first of all uh Liz Olson's performance. I mean, I, I thought like Paul Bettany was fantastic, but I thought this was also Liz Olson's probably, you know, most biggest range that she's had to display. What do you think, John Cena? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like the ending scene, like when um Vision was like, you can't control me. And she's like, yes, I can. And it's like the credits start rolling. Like that was just great. Like it's making me like think like, is she the bad one? Is she to be controlled? Like just the way that she's reacting to all the scenes makes you really confused. Like there is no like easy way to figure it out I feel like and it's based all on her performance like I feel she's like knocking it out of the park right now and then when she went back into Westview and she like went right back to her Avengers character with the with the accent and everything that was like amazing like she's just the way she flips a switch like literally going back and forth is just out of this world but Paul Bettany like WH said is be great this detective work that he's doing like I can't wait for it the one scene that I have seen from the trailer 
that has to be in next week's episode is when he confronts um, Agatha. And I'm pretty sure it's the Halloween episode because she ironically is wearing like a witch outfit. So I'm really looking forward to that. I feel like that's going to be one of like the key points of the show when Vision really like gets right down to it. WH, um, how, what was your reaction when like you saw her come out in like her full Avengers gear with that Sokovian accent back? Oh, I, I, I was really happy to see it because like I, I really like Wanda in the MCU and I'm really hoping that eventually she's going to get the code name, the Scarlet Witch. And um, I like, I like, you know, like I like how they transform um, the comics, you know, costumes into the MCU costumes. Like I, I like, I prefer Captain America's costume in the MCU way more to his, his traditional superhero costume in the, in the comics. I love the depiction of the Falcon in the MCU. Uh, I think that's great, but you know, for, for Wanda, like, I'm glad we're going to get that Halloween episode and we're going to get them wearing their classic costumes. But I, I thought it was really a great moment for Elizabeth Olsen to be shown as her MCU version of Wanda. Like, and as, as that was a really nice touch that, you know, they said, does she have a code name? Does she have a nickname? They go, no, she's never had a nickname, which is kind of interesting to me. Like, cause we all know her, like, comic fans especially know her as the scarlet witch but she's never been called that in the, the movies um but her reverting back to her sokovian accent uh, just means to me it's like she's dealing with a lot of things like in her mind and like i feel like this is like her way of coping with the trauma of losing her parents losing her brother and then losing the person that she loves the most which is the vision and like i want to just echo the sentiment like about Liz- elizabeth olsen like in one scene like she'll go from like dogged determination like this is mine you're not taking this way but like and just the utter desperation she feels about losing potentially losing all this all this things all these things that she's created for herself so she's both like this kind of altruistic person in her mind but she's also comes across as incredibly selfish and it's it's just a testament to like how great elizabeth olton is to to show those aspects just in like within five minutes of you know her performance she needs to do all that and be an 80s sitcom mother, which I thought she fucking killed. She was so fun to watch as like parents of Billy and Tommy doing like stereotypical, you know, sitcom mom things, uh, complete with like the curly like 80s hair, late ni- early 90s hair. I thought that she was just so much fun to watch, like just in the sitcom scenes. But like you mentioned, WH, being able to bounce back and forth, like both leads here in Wanda and Vision are just absolutely killing it. They're doing so great. Um, I want to kind of like talk about the timeline of events here because we learned that it was nine days ago that Wanda went into S.W.O.R.D. and basically took Vision's body and, you know, did whatever with it. Um, But just to kind of track things back, you know, for people who might not remember, Vision actually died five years ago uh in the fight with thanos after thanos ripped the mind gem out of him that was the same you know just moments before the snap occurred so vision has been dead for five years and you would assume at some point sword obtained his body as we've learned sword is now interested in ai so they were doing some form of experimentation on him wanda not long after the events of endgame and not long after we last saw her at tony stark's funeral decides to co- go to sword grab the body and then do whatever she wants with it so what do you think like prompted the chain of events because on the one hand she was kind of presented as like here's a terrorist coming in to steal a weapon uh but on the other hand as you mentioned wh you could feel quite sympathetic for her as like somebody who just got brought back to life and now that she's learned where her husband's corpse is being kept and where it's being experimented on of course she would be prompted to go and 
rescue it you know or at least like it could be selfish but it could also be seen as as a bit more of a kind of like i don't know redemptive act um any any thoughts from either of you about about that so i to 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 them the vision is just a thing he's a thin society he's not human being so they they look at this as an opportunity to to study this technology that was created by an ai which is created by ultron and an infinity gem and so like it's like wow this is amazing but to her they're they're dissecting and studying and desecrating the body of someone of the man she loves he's like he's he's not a thing to her he's a man to her she, he's a person to her so like i can see understand her anger and i i think in those like that time period after the end of endgame and the the start of the events of this story we're going to see that maybe she's being manipulated by someone far more powerful than she is who who needs her powers to achieve their own goals and that's what prompts her to like how does she find out that sword has the body like where would she get gain that information someone probably gave that to her and that's probably the the big bad of the show um yeah i i i just i'm just excited to watch more episodes every week and find out the answers to these questions. And I, and I'm very confident that we're going to get the answers to all these questions. So like that, that's what get, brings me back every week to not only watch the show, but come on here and talk about it with you. It's definitely one of those shows where like, um, there's so much like material surrounding it, not just like you watch it, but like to me, the joy is being able to like listen to other theories and to be able to talk about the show. But, you know, getting back to, uh, I guess, Wanda, I mean, Monica Rambeau mentions how, she believes Wanda protected her as she ejected her out of the bubble and kept her alive, uh, something that probably would have killed a, a normal person. We learn a whole lot about Monica Rambeau in this episode because um, we see her get these test results or at least not get these test results because they appear to be inconclusive. Um, and there's also um, her mentioning – there was a mention of Captain Marvel, which prompted Rambeau to almost give sort of a dismissive look at the mention of the name. So what did you kind of take from this episode about Monica's backstory, Sino? I feel like she is somehow, Captain Marvel, uh, Carol, is somehow indirectly responsible for the death of Maria and the fact that she died from cancer. I feel like something might have happened where she contracted it with her or maybe Captain Marvel didn't do something to save her. But for her to have that sort of resentment where as soon as her name was brought up, she's like, we're not talking about her right now. Something definitely happened. And they're definitely, that's what they're building on to. We're probably not going to find out on this show. We're probably not going to find out until Captain Marvel 2, where Monica is cast in it. And the test results just to me is she's getting powers herself. Like even the way that the, the test results came back kind of resemble the, um, the colors of Photon, who she becomes in the comics. So I feel like that's just kind of like a teaser for the Captain Marvel movie. And we're, we're not going to find that out until that, I would think. So was it basically Wanda pushing her out of the bubble that caused her to to get the powers, you think? What do you think, WH? I know there are theories out there that say it's a combination of the blip, like her coming back from, you know, wherever Thanos snapped everyone and then quickly going into the uh, into um, the hex and then being ejected and being doused basically with Wanda's uh, hex energies. Um, that's going to prompt her to get powers. But I think also there has to be something that's connected to her exposure to Carol Danvers in the first Captain Marvel movie. Maybe, and maybe John's right. Like there's a, there's a connection to um, uh, Maria Rambo getting cancer and being exposed to Carol Danvers in that movie. 
Yeah. What do, you guys, they, what do you guys think that she was texting? Because at one point she said she had a friend who was an aerospace engineer, and we never found out who that was, but there's theories that it could be Reed Richards or somebody else that we haven't seen yet. Um, and they even mentioned, like, astronauts in the last episode. I think director Haywood mentioned it. So there's definitely little teasers for Fantastic Four. Maybe they just can't say them yet, but they're definitely getting people's hopes up. I'm honestly amazed if, like, within the span of one episode, they could reveal uh, X-Men and like introduce a hint to reed richards like it would amaze me that marvel who already have their phase four plans like would somehow already be integrating all of these other things into the universe i almost feel like that's that's almost too soon i do think like sword is you know could be a perfect way to introduce the fantastic four but i i I think that's kind of like years down the line like something like a hint like that would suggest that reed richards would be coming in like by the end of the series which i just i simply don't you know that he's not even cast. Um, it could be. It could be. I, I really don't don't know who else it could be. Um, what do you think, WH? Uh, it could be uh, Dane Whitman, who's uh, the Black Knight, who's going to be a character in the the new Eternals movie. So it it, it might be him. <laughs> it's just me <laughs> stretching there. But if it turns out to be him, I want to be credited on this show. Okay, you heard it here first. Place your bets, everybody. Um. All right, let's talk about the 80s kind of like homage itself. Um, can you take us, uh, so you know, through some of the references that you found? Yeah, I mean, the three main shows that I saw were Family Ties, Growing Pains, and Full House. With the intro itself was kind of a mixture of all three because you had like the painting style in the beginning, that's straight out of Family Ties. And then when you had the pictures of them going through the ages, that's from Growing Pains. And then you even had some scenes of um, them having a picnic and kind of running up the hill. That's just right out of the Full House intro as well. And even when Pietro came out at the end, it just gave me Uncle Jesse vibes. He had the leather jacket, the slick back hair, and he's like, hey, you know, the cool uncle's here in town. That's just how the first episode of Full House um, started with, you know, cool Uncle Jesse coming in. And I feel like we might see in the next episode, uh, Tommy and Billy maybe grow up a little bit older, be 15 years old. They've been jumping from five years, I think. They went from, from right, it was like five yeah. to 10. So I feel like they yeah. might be 15. And um I'm not sure. Maybe WH can tell me which one is it, Billy or Tommy, that has like the Quicksilver-like powers. That that would be Tommy. So Tommy and Billy eventually become superheroes. They're part of a group called the Young Avengers. Uh, Tommy is Speed, and he okay. looks just like Pietro in the comics. So, so and I can then... see, I can see maybe Pietro kind of teaching Tommy like his ways in the next episode. He's like the the rebel twin son, while the other one is more like mommy's boy, and he's more wanda's power so i can see that being like some sort of um some sort of a separation of the two twin brothers in the next episode and then you can you know the 90s trope we have the one rebel kid and the one good kid that's been seen in so many shows but even some like small little references in the show like the kitchen itself is straight out of family ties it's even like a little sign on the on the island that says kiss the cook and um the The couch couch in, in the living room has the blue pillow which is straight out of growing pains so there was a lot of 80s montages and even like the very special episode, like the title name is a trope right out of the sitcoms where it's like you have the episode where Jesse from um, Saved by the Bell is on drugs or, you know, Carlton has a gun. You always have like these like special episodes and this is kind <laughs> of... Carlton has a gun. Carlton has a gun. This is like pretty much what happened with this one where there was a death of the dog and you had to kind of have the mom explain it and the somber music started playing. So that's where the whole special episode trope came from. I love like the cheesy moment of like the the dog dying and then the music starts to swell into this introspective like tone as the parent kneels down to have the pep talk. It was, with, like, it was your Danny Tanner moment. Every episode, oh. Danny Tanner had to sit down with his girls and explain to them what's going on. 
I also really want to like um, give some attention to the the incredible theme songs that we've had this season. And this one in particular, I thought was incredibly on point. Uh, to me, it absolutely captured the essence of the Growing Pains theme song, down to like the little corny like guitar solo in between the singing. You know, like as long as we've got each other, like they did, they did their own version of that. Uh, it was so damn good. What do you think overall of like the way they managed to kind of capture the eighties WH? I I thought it was really good. I mean, at this point, we're not going to shoot it. Like it's it's shot in the eighties. It's gonna yeah. Be it's shot. not four three. No, it's it's going to be what sixty nine, and it's going to be in HD. So it, that that's kind of missed. I I would have liked to seen if they try to do yeah, that. Yeah. Why why don't you think they went four three this time? I I think it's it's just going to be too hard for them to go back and forth. Maybe I I can't explain why, but well, they probably did, like they, with the reveal that it's like oh this is one who created this and it's you know like let's just keep it like 69 because it, it looks better well they do actually still change aspect ratio because the tv like the the sitcom is 16 by 9 hd but when they go to like the sword scenes it's um cinematic framing um which is i, I forget the ratio for that but like it gets thinner as you go to like the sword scenes so they do they do switch aspect ratio and i like you know i could be wrong but like to me it feels like the quality of picture when you go to the sitcom is softer than when you watch the sword scenes so there is still a difference but i'm not sure why they didn't go with 4-3 framing for this one by the Any way can thoughts? i just say yeah. just one thing is that john missed the most obvious reference to, a, to an 80s tv show and but he might not be aware of it because he's not from toronto away it's the 20 minute workout the very popular city city tv uh 80s workout aerobic exercise workout show so you know agnes in her aerobic exercise outfit is very reminiscent of the 20 minute workout and people of a certain age who live in toronto not you brandon from new jersey you're not from fucking ontario okay (laughs) we'll know what i'm talking about oh unfortunately i that that flew over my head too wh because i'll send you a clip i'll send you a link well, listen, my, my Canadian aerobic in, instructors of choice are Hal Johnson and Joanne McLeod, and they're the only ones uh, of body break frame, fame. Um, so everybody else can just... I think John's sleeping it. right now because he's like, I don't understand any of these references. No, I'm just, I mean, I'm thinking of like Jane Fonda workout videos. Is that what you're talking about? Like similar things like that? Stop talking. Stop embarrassing yourself, Sino. Just Bowflex. stop talking. 20-minute workout. Go YouTube you it right now. Grow- you had a Bowflex growing up? Are there any other Easter eggs or references or things that you guys want want to talk about that we haven't touched on? Well, one thing. Sorry, well, go, ahead, go, go ahead, John. No, I just noticed that one thing in the beginning, like the scene. They, re, you know, how they had a previously on Wandavision. There actually was a scene where the line was changed. The original line was when she's talking about um, sending Geraldine back to present world. She originally said, "Oh, she left, honey. She had to rush home." But in this one, she said, "She's gone. She didn't belong here." So, do you guys like? You think that's just a, an error, or they? purposely would do that like why would they have them change the entire line so so i've i've, I've seen it said like I, i've seen that pointed out and somebody suggested that you know something like this might not be uncommon for tv shows just to use an alternate take for clarity's sake because i suppose if she said she had to run doesn't really tell you as much about the motivation behind that team in a short amount of time could be that or i mean it would certainly be a very unique way of like wanda she's not just fucking with the actual show she's fucking with the previously on portion as well mm. Yeah. WH, uh, any thoughts or any other things you wanted to discuss? Okay, so the colors of the twins when they become age 10. Tommy's shirt is 
greenish blue kind of or bluish green which is the same color as speed's costume in young avengers and billy's shirt is kind of like reddish with tints of blue dark blue which is the same color of uh which is the same color as wiccan's uh costume who is of course billy in the young avengers so i thought that was a really little cool easter egg i'm really happy with how um subtle i feel like some of these easter eggs are they're not trying to they're kind of trying to reward the fans who want to dissect every frame of this show and i think things like that are are are, can be very rewarding it's like especially if you're watching the 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 easter egg uh you know shows on 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 youtube and stuff like that it's like oh that's right so but that's something i noticed myself as i was watching it at like 7 30 in the morning yesterday that that goes to to agnes as well Agatha, uh, uh, who wears like, you know, purple and kind of like bluish uh, and, and pink, which is uh, at least through my Googling colors of the character in the comics. So I love shit like that. Like this is a show that um, to me is so rewatchable because there's so, always something to find out. Even like watching it two times, like you, there's so much I haven't, I haven't caught. So uh, if you, you know, unless you guys have any more thoughts, let's go to some feedback here and uh, see what you guys have to say out uh, when you're listening. So if, as always, if you guys want to leave any feedback, go to the forum and look for the WandaVision feedback thread as uh, we see what you guys thought about this particular episode. So let me just uh, scroll back here to see where I left off last. Um, what was it? Jeez, there's a lot of feedback. Why you do that? Can I just say how this is probably my favorite commercial with the Lagos when you make a mess? I didn't even mention it. Yes, please was, talk about it. That was just amazing. Like the whole, like the fact that it was fruit punch and it's represented the blood. And even after the slogan was said of when you make a mess that you didn't mean to, you just, you still hear the blood dripping, like just little things like that. And uh, I'm convinced that these actors are Pietro and Wanda's parents, the same people that they keep using in every episode. That's been a theory that's been thrown out there. Um, this personally has been my my favorite commercial. And I even saw a theory that each commercial has been representing the Infinity Stone. There's some sort of like color representation in each one. So that could be something else that we might see down the line. But I just love this commercial. Like your classic like bounty paper towel commercial, but thrown in with the Lagos uh, slogan was just home run. It was, yeah, it was, uh, I would say this one was like pretty easy to kind of like, you know, uh, analyze compared to maybe some of the previous, but um maybe the rest are pretty easy too that and we're just maybe thinking too hard about it let's go to the uh, uh some feedback here and then we start with um Stuart, who says i absolutely enjoyed the show so far as somebody who's only into the marvel characters through the mcu having the world of two that sh- which should be the most powerful characters uh expanded upon has been great though i miss a ton of the easter eggs um i actually found episode four to be the most jarring as well i figured that the show was a construct of wanda's mind i'm wondering where the physical selves are I think they established that the physical selves are there. Like they are there. And Wanda has the ability to transform physical things into whatever she wants. Right? Yeah, she's altering reality, essentially. Like so with like Monica Rambeau's clothes that she went into Westview with that were transformed into the clothes that she wore within the the television show like that's her clothes that's her kevlar vest being transformed into the clothes that match the show as it it jumps through each timeline so she's rewriting the the, those clothes but they're essentially keeping their the same molecular composition so that's Mm -hmm. kind of her powers in the comics yeah so it's not simply like the matrix where like you know like the physical self might exist somewhere and everything else kind of takes place place on a different plane like these are the people 
We got a Dave from Brisbane, Australia, who says, Pietro opened the forbidden door for the MCU. Another sensational episode yet again that leaves you wanting more. Do you think Pietro was the rumored groundbreaking cameo earlier this week, or are they going bigger? I think we establish bigger. Yeah. It feels like this was always teased, and I think they're going bigger, maybe a Magneto or even Spider-Man to help push that tie-in. During the end credits, we get a glimpse of a red mask flying around, and then the green mask joins it for a brief second. I wonder if this is a tease of the introduction of Polaris to the MCU world. WH, not sh- not sure if you mentioned it, um, but the Vision but a complete collection by Tom King is a great read. Okay, uh, Polaris into the MCU. Who's Polaris, WH? Polaris is the the daughter, the other daughter of magneto she has magnetic powers uh she's the love interest of alex summers who's called havoc in the comic books and is the brother of cyclops scott summers um she's not really too integrated with uh you know wanda uh like they're they're they're, the fact that they're sisters is something more of a recent development like i would never associate polaris with with wanda not to the point where i would introduce her into like the mcu this way i would try to keep her within the the context of the the x-men um side of things more um so like i mean if you want if you if you see that okay i i personally wouldn't agree with that assessment i think i'm agreeing with you it's a little bit out of nowhere and i don't think she's like really a famous enough character that no. like it would make that much of a difference all right we go to Stu actually who now has watched episode five he says it's it, episode five pushed a lot of plot points as well as 100 percent confirming the basis of westview wanda's tortured mind and her search for happiness the little twist of vision using his own powers to explore the reality of the situation open up the darker side of what is going on with his wife and her quest for contentment i wonder what topic the next advert will cover without going into a synopsis of every scene i'm most excited in future episodes to resolve pietro's position within the story whether whether she leaves Westview to resurrect him outside of the town and why she's fully Sokovian accented again outside of the hex. Well, I think that's because she, she's always had this. Yeah. And within the uh, Westview, she is not just remaking everything that walks into it. She's also remaking herself to fit the idyllic, you know, sitcom American sitcom role. Right. Yeah, I mean, how many actors changed their accent in shows? So she's just doing the same thing. Uh, Stu also says, living for also living for Catherine Hahn, how much does she know of the situation? She seems more sentient than others about the reality, hence her asking whether she should take it from the top. No herb in this episode. Yeah. Um, well, I'm of the belief, certainly, that Catherine Hahn as uh, Agatha Harkness is, uh, or Agnes is kind of uh, behind a lot of this and pulling the strings leading people to jump to conclusions but i almost feel like for this show i almost wonder if that's too easy um it, it's a little too obvious wh and john at least um you guys think it might have more to do with to do with dotty and, and not just agnes yeah Okay, uh, we got a Jake who says, Monica, when Wu and Darcy mentioned... Ca- oh, he's got a, a photo here. He says, uh, okay, in reference to Monica's reaction to Captain Marvel, that's very interesting since that tells me that the relationship is currently estranged. I'm guessing that it was because she wasn't around and Maria was suffering from cancer. I mean, your childhood hero just ghosted you for decades, but finally shows up to Earth to fight against Thanos and ghosted you again. You would feel the same way. But I gotta say, a lot of forbidden doors being kicked down this week in wrestling and the MCU. The multiverse is about to commence. So happy to be a fan of geekery. Scrump from Pro Wrestling T says, Bang, bang, gentlemen, how do you do? 
I'm glad things are finally happening on the show and that they're not relying too heavily on the old school TV format as it was cute at first but got very old very quick. First off, I would die for that baby vision that they showed in the credits and hope he becomes the next baby Yoda. Second, that's totally Mephisto disguised as Pietro, right? I would love for them to incorporate the X-Men, especially if there's some multiverse shenanigans, but I have a feeling that that might be a red herring for what's really going on. Regardless, I love the episode, and I want more of this. With a rumored 10th episode, as opposed to the announced 9th, I'm hoping that they get longer in length as these episodes are too short. Okay, so first of all, um, possible that Mephisto is pretending to be Evan Peters here. Um, I can see that, especially with next week's episode being based around Halloween. I feel like we could have like that mask reveal type of thing. Um, I even saw like a theory of like somebody kind of walking around dressed as Mephisto, just like as a as a costume. Um, and also like what WH said earlier about like possibly the legality being the reason why they couldn't use Scarlet Witch and the Quicksilver names in the MCU is that I mean I'm guessing that's you can use them now, right? So maybe next week they're gonna say like she's literally dressed as Scarlet Witch, so maybe they're gonna finally introduce those names into the MCU. Um, at the same time, they can probably like introduce Mephisto as well maybe you just you won't see who it is it'll just be somebody walking around with a Mephisto costume because he's the devil right he's pretty much the devil so you could have like just your your basic devil Halloween costume walking around we got a Brandon from Oshawa who says what a turnaround for the show I've gone from questioning whether that I'm into it to wanting the next episode immediately I'm torn on if I like the weekly format or not well I do like having something to look forward to each week and I love listening to the podcast it also gives me more time to hear about the theories and rumors as much as I love seeing Evan Peters I did read it could possibly happen, so it kind of took away from the much bigger, how much bigger it could have been to me. The show is headed in the right direction. Yeah, it's sort of, um, I, I guess, the give and take of, like, I love the fact, personally, that these are episodic um, and that we get to have these discussions and we get to anticipate. And I think a week turnaround is the perfect amount of time because we kind of get this in the comics world as well. Except in the comics world, I almost lose interest because I have to wait a whole month between issues. This is like the perfect amount of time to like have it, you know, completely dissect it and then still have it in your conscious consciousness to like be be able to, you know, get it, get the next chapter the next week. Um, and but the, the give and take is that if you pay attention to this stuff, you're you might spoil yourself by like getting to casting rumors, looking at the trailers and things like that. So um, it, it it's kind of part of the fandom, isn't it? I think so. Like, uh, like I know, like Scrump has like issues with the, the length of this show and and with the kind of um, pacing. He's a of busy it man. Well. It, well, but he's also like he thinks it should been we should been available for binging, which I completely disagree with. I I love it. I love it being episodic. I like the I like the anticipation of getting a new episode like on every Friday now. I'm like, I have like TV shows now that I'm back into the groove of like, this is my TV show. This is on Tuesday. This is my Wednesday TV show. Now this is my Friday TV show. I I love having that routine now with my, my viewing habits. So, and, and it gives me time to think what's going to happen next week. Like, like if next week is the Halloween themed episode, like I'm hoping there's a lot of references to the much maligned Halloween three season of the witch. <laughs> because those scenes where like the kids are trick-or-treating and they're wearing their costumes kind of reminds me of scenes from that film. So we'll see if that happens. Maybe we have to, I'm going to have to consult with like uh, our friends at the BDE because I think they reviewed that film at some point. Yeah. We got a mug in who says, uh, okay, uh, I dug the 80s aesthetic drawing from Family Times and Growing Pains. Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen's chemistry was in rare form and Wanda stepping through the barrier to confront Sword had me on my toes. Okay. 
All right. What a time to be alive, he says. All right. We go up next to Ryan, who says, I really enjoyed the first three episodes and in large part because of the lack of answers. I was put off by the fourth, but hoping it was a bit of context to lead us back in. But this episode continues it. Not that the final reveal wasn't interesting, but gave give me 100% less explanation and I'm much happier. If they cut out the outside world stuff and let these things happen within the world of the show, it'd have much more effective. It'd be much more effective and affecting. Unlike the commenter above, I've went from being really invested in it to being along for the ride cheerily from an MCU relevance. I would have stopped watching here if not for the fact that it's going to be important seemingly and I was very positive after the first few episodes. So it seems like Ryan is taking, like, I would say kind of like the opposite um, reaction to maybe some of the criticism that we've heard in that he was very much enjoying the mystery that they were leading us on and felt very satisfied in, in the, the amount of clues that they were given and almost feels disappointed that maybe they're spelling things too much too soon. What what do you guys think? I can see his point. Like, I, I quite enjoy, like, the balance of, like, we get... Ant- answers to questions and then we get some new questions to 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 replace those questions so to me i think it's 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 really well paced but i and i can see if like ryan doesn't like feel that that's in balance anymore that you know it it leans more to towards like revealing stuff too quickly for his taste okay i i can see your point i don't agree with it but i can see it I, I, I definitely think like last week and like episode four in particular answered a lot of the mystery surrounding like the construct but as you mentioned they continue to ask new questions we didn't even get any questions as to like uh who the missing person is that they were looking for in the first place that's still yet to be revealed why pietro is here that's yet to be revealed who truly is in control i i think we have to give the show maybe a bit more credit in like being able to lead us along and not just simply revealing everything at this point i think a lot of this is definitely going to be misdirection so and we also have to keep in mind like for every one of these reactions um, that Ryan might have, I think you might have plenty more that were probably very frustrated at the pace of the earlier shows and felt maybe left out. You have to remember, most people aren't watching this show multiple times. Most people aren't might not be listening to the podcast. It's very rewarding if you choose to do that. But this is Disney Plus here. You know, we're we're not talking about a very niche comic book. We're here to talk about something that ultimately has to generate a lot of money and keep people invested in this thing. So I think it has to, you know, be kind of like wide appealing enough. And that means playing in that sort of like, you know, balance where you, and that's something that the MCU to me has always done really well, like satisfying the hardcores while also kind of keeping casuals very interested. And, you know, of course, look at the results so far. We got a Rob who says it has been common for me to say that to, for me to say, but this was my favorite episode yet. I love that the show went back and forth from West View to Real View. I see lots of clues that Wanda is not the main villain, but being manipulated. I really noticed the use of cameras and frames. When the camera would have a wide shot with a laugh track, we were embedded into Wanda's world. When the camera would go to a single shot in Vision or Wanda with limited or no background noise, the illusion was broken. And of course, widescreen for the real stuff. Darcy's line about being a fan of Monica when she really is a fan of Geraldine had me laughing. I love the vision of Growing Pains and all the various sitcoms. My jaw hit the floor with the surprise. The way that is shot with the tall gray hair, I thought it was Sir Ian McKellen himself. <laughs> but I was pretty damn close with Evan Peter, Peter showing up. Um, man, I, I feel like Ian McKellen would... Put a leather jacket on? Yeah, he could do it. Yeah, it would be good. Wouldn't it, if Gandalf shows up, wouldn't that be great? I saw the leather uh, jacket. I thought it was WH for a second. Everyone says the same thing, John. It's a common <laughs> mistake many people make. <laughs> 
Uh, I haven't seen. I've never seen WH run, so we've we've yet to determine. All right, we got a Greg from Scotland who says the show keeps getting better, and while I'm not familiar with the criteria for streaming services being nominated for awards, surely Elizabeth Olsen should clean up as at the ceremonies for her tragically beautiful performance as Wanda. A few points. I love the cryptic nods and the photo montage in the opening credits with Wanda as a teen in war-torn Sokovia, and Baby Vision is my new favorite thing. Why did Monica's X-ray show up blank? Is she gaining powers of her own after being blasted by Wanda? Uh, yeah, I kind of discussed that. We were of the agreement that it's true, possibly. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's just they're putting in crumbs for Captain Marvel too. So that's uh, that's it for your feedback. And before we close off, as always, WH, you've already kind of gone through some of these recommendations, but uh, do you have any others that you actually? Like I I do have some feedback that I got from my friend Dave's. Uh, young son uh, Nate, who's a big fan of the show, he he says, "Hey WH, I write. I want to write into your one to five podcast. And yes, I listen to all of them. Thank you very much, Nate. And I want to say, did you know if you look on the front page when you enter Disney Plus, you can see Wanda and Vision and TV showing their armor, something, something, something. And on the bottom right corner, there's a scientist, scientist, and." Uh, I think he's saying Geraldine, just something if they update it so you can put in some hints on your podcast and make sure you say it's from one of your friend's son. So it's from Nate Barrett. Thank you, Nate. So apparently when we enter into uh, Disney Plus, we have to check the, the still images and then see if they change every week. Apparently, like and then his father, Dave, messaged me privately. is like saying we were like screen capping all these things to see if there's this is happening. There's any changes, clues to the to the show so he's gonna send me a report maybe every week when you say screen caps you mean like the background image or you mean like of the tv like when you go into disney plus and like they have still images for the show or something like Like that each episode maybe yeah i'm gonna have to talk to dave and get like a better idea of what he's actually referring to but um as far as comics go these have been already referenced the first one uh especially if you're a big fan of sparky is to read the vision series uh, collected into one giant massive trade paperback. It collects 12 issues written by Tom King and drawn by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. It details the Vision's attempts to have a normal life in suburbia with his synthesoid family. And it's an amazing series. And it, it and Tom King introduced like the, the awesome characters of the Vision and the other members of his um, his artificially created family and the, the the most important one though is avengers west coast epic collection vision quest primarily written and drawn by john byrne um this is the story of wanda's kids this is a story of wanda's descent into the dark scarlet witch this is the you know the, the inspiration for a lot of what happened to vision in this episode the dissection at the hands of sword is it, it's reminiscent of what happens to him at the hands of a different or- government organization in Vision Quest, and it introduces reintroduces the idea of Magneto and uh, Quicksilver into Wanda's life as bad guys. So that was a really interesting time in the the history of uh, the Scarlet Witch and the Vision. But more so for the Scarlet Witch, I feel a lot of what we're going to see happen. Uh, from this point on in the rest of the episodes is going to be very, very much taken from the storyline that Byrne created in this run of his, his run of the West coast Avengers, which you can find all in Avengers epic Avengers West coast epic collection vision quest. It's incredibly like impressive to me that like 
you're not running out of shortages of things to recommend that are that have some sort of relevance to like the episodes that we're talking about because it's like it, it tells me that they've done a great job of like pulling little bits from the entire kind of canon of you know decades of history of these characters into like this condensed form on this tv show there's a lot to work with 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 wanda and i don't think i'm gonna have any trouble like next week recommending something it might not be like two 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 things at the in one week might be just be one thing next week might be one thing the week after and then maybe two or three things the the final week or whatever you know um so that's um that's mostly it but like john Cena, um please the floor is yours thank you for joining us uh, and tell us where people can get more of your thoughts maybe not just even on wandavision but really everything else that's going on with you yeah, thank you guys for having me on here. Um, just two real quick things that I want to happen in next week's episode, especially if it's a 90s sitcom. I, I love the Halloween episode specials they would have with like Roseanne and Family Matters. I want to do, go to full length. I don't know if you guys remember when Family Matters had the evil Steve Urkel puppet called Steve. I want to see some sort of Steve WandaVision of this. I want to see like an evil vision or evil puppet somehow be integrated to this. And I also want to see the best part of Evan Peters' Quicksilver is when he does those slow down scenes with the music playing in the headphones i want to see yes. that somehow be shown on this those are my two like predictions or wishes that i have for next week um as far as me every wednesday morning shot in the dark you can catch me on the up next feed and on fridays 6 30 eastern twitch.tv slash up next podcast with mike hogan with the other guys next week we'll be reviewing the new netflix film mock marie with john david washington and zendaya uh wh aside from this i mean it is always wh week uh wh park week on post wrestling but especially this week um not only are you a part of this show you just uh got done with a fantastic toshiaki kawada retrospective on the long and winding world road uh with dylan fox um care to speak a little bit about that and, and uh where people can find it yeah you can find it on postwrestling.com under the long and winding road road uh tab feed um it's this week is our look at uh one of the four pillars of all japan pro wrestling that's toshiaki kawada he is uh his nickname is dangerous k and we we kind of detail his life his career and his the the main crux is his struggle against mitsuharu masawa not only in the ring but uh behind the scenes as well that's a large part of what we discussed in, re- in relation to um Toshiaki Kawada. We also talk about how one of his greatest periods was when he was in Hustle and he would beat the living shit out of Taichi every 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 show, which made me happy in retrospect as my hatred for Taichi is well documented. Um, but I, yeah, that's a great episode that I had Dylan Fox from the Eastern Lariat on with me because I know he, like me, is a big fan of Toshiaki Kawada. Toshiaki Kawada is one of my favorite wrestlers. He's not my favorite wrestler, but he's my favorite of the four pillars because I think he has the most interesting story and character arc if you're going to say character arc with the wrestler but you know of of the four so check that out i'm also going to be appearing on wrestling omakaze's patreon we're going to be discussing four or five different matches and uh yeah it's a really wide variety i'm joining john carroll uh, on their patreon for that so please check that out wrestling omakaze and yeah and i think in a couple of weeks we're gonna i'm gonna be doing uh next post Perez with John Pollock and, uh, and then maybe some more content that I've, I've already recorded away and just waiting for you guys to, to release it. 
<laughs> it is going to be out next week. So uh, what WH is referring to is an interview hit that he's done with Matt Charlton, who is, uh, to many people, know him as uh, Shining Wizards Designs. If you're familiar with the Eggshells book and uh, several other kind of publications, our postcards that we sent out, um, he published a new book out there and WH interviewed him about his about it. So you can probably find that next weekend for free on the free feed. So uh, thank you to both of you. Uh, I continue to love the experience of, um, you know, talking about these things with the both of you privately and, you know, on podcast form. Uh, let us know what you guys think about WandaVision and about our show. So leave some feedback in the thread and you will find me. Uh, I'm going to take John Ceno's notes about Total Bellas and uh, I'll, I'll somehow create a podcast tomorrow night right here in the Post Wrestling Cafe. So thank you, everybody, for your support. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>